Today we're going to talk about uh, the subject of forgiveness. Uh, it's always a tough subject because uh, it hits us at that place in our life that we experience the most pain. Uh, this week, the academic uh, scandal was all over the news. You know what I'm talking about with the academic scandal? You know, the, the, the children of very rich people who were given bogus athletic scholarships or, or, or given exceptions because their parents might make healthy donations. Uh, and they were allowed to get into elite universities. And, and there was almost immediate backlash. In today's world, that's the way things go. There was almost immediate backlash uh, against those students and against those parents. Uh, and it came from those who had actually qualified. And I've heard that there's several lawsuits underway of people who, who feel like that they have, have been uh, abused because of people who took advantage uh, of the system. And the afternoon that the story broke, I was listening to NPR, and they were interviewing a person, and it was a person who they had apparently found instantly who felt like they were one of the victims of this crime, and the person ended by saying that they, they felt cheated of, the, of, of their uh, rightful position in that school because they had earned it, and they asked them, how do you feel about that? And they said, I'm so bitter. As I listened to that, I thought, boy, bitterness sets in quickly, doesn't it? It doesn't take long for, for people to become, b- become incredibly bitter. And, and I, let's face it, we all struggle with this. You know, when a classmate ridicules you, they call you a name that hurts you and, and it sticks, and people start repeating that name, it's so easy to get bitter. Or uh, a coach doesn't play your child. And, you know, they, they start deferring time that your child should uh, maybe get on the field or on the court to a, a child whose parents uh, happen to be lead boosters in the booster club. Or maybe you go through a bitter divorce and you're left with feelings that don't seem to be going away. Or, or, or maybe you feel abused by, by your, your parents or, or victimized by a criminal or you feel slandered by a gossip or snubbed by your superiors or neglected by your children or overlooked by your church. Whatever it is, we struggle with resentment. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and, and that no root of bitterness springs up because it will cause trouble, and by it, many people will be defiled. If we're not careful, bitterness will grow and will cause great harm, not only to us, but those close to us as well. That's why Jesus taught that the characteristic of, uh, of the Christian is the capacity to forgive. In fact, he went so far to say, if you don't forgive people, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. In Mark, The gospel writer says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven will also forgive you of your wrongdoing. Now, if you've ever been hurt deeply, you know it's a lot easier for a preacher to stand up and talk about than it is for a person to put into practice where they live. That's why we're going to talk about the story of Joseph today. He, he provides an excellent example of, of faithfulness, and, and he's even faithful to forgive. If you remember his story, 20 years before what we're going to read today, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he spent 13 years in an Egyptian prison. 
And the root of bitterness had plenty of time to grow, but now by the grace of God, he's the second most powerful person in Egypt. He's in charge of their food supplies. And because God had warned him, uh, and he had been faithful, Egypt's thriving while the rest of the world is starving in the midst of of a famine. Uh, But in chapter 42, we see some amazing things happen. Chapter 42 of Genesis... uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, who was back in uh, the Holy Land, he, he sends his brothers to Egypt in search of grain. And, and they find themselves bowing before Joseph just as he had dreamed, you remember, early on in the story? But they didn't recognize Joseph. And, you know, think, how could they not recognize him? Well, remember, he was only 17 when he left, and, and, and now he's almost 40. He speaks Egyptian. Instead of his native Hebrew language, he's wearing Egyptian attire, he's clean-shaven, and let's be honest, life changes somewhere between 17 and 40, doesn't it? You know, there's three stages of life. Young, middle-aged, and you're looking pretty good. You know, Joseph's somewhere between middle-aged and you're looking pretty good uh, at this point in his life. And he had changed to the point that they didn't recognize him. And here's his chance. His chance to get even. He could have said, man, I'm going to send them home empty-handed. He could say, I'm not giving you any grain. Don't you think I'm going to, do you really think I'm going to help you after what you did to me? Or he could have humiliated them farther. He could have made them grovel. He could have enslaved them. He could have tortured them. He could have helped them realize what he had gone through. He could have executed them. He had the power to do that. And there is a very natural human instinct to get even. I heard about an elderly man who was driving a Lincoln Continental and he was trying to back into a parking space on a very, very crowded street. And as he was getting ready to back into a parking space, uh, a young uh, kid in a sports car whipped in perfectly into the space and this college student jumped out laughing and he said, that's what you can do, Gramps, when when you're young and quick. The old man just put the car in reverse and pounded the sports car until it looked like an accordion. And he got out and the boy was screaming. He says, what are you doing? And the old man says, that's what you can do when you're old and rich, right? <laughs> well, that, well, that's one way to get even, but there are lots of ways. Uh, you can try to get even with people through legal retaliation. I'll sue you for everything you've got. You're not going to treat me like that. You can try to get even with people through financial retaliation. Uh, J.P. Getty, a multimillionaire, changed his will 21 times before he died trying to get even with people. You can try to get even with people through verbal retaliation. If you have verbal skills, you, you, you can really belittle people, and some do. You can try to get even with people by recruiting opponents. You know, you, some people try to hurt other people by turning others against them. And if you can get enough people angry at the person you're angry with, you, you can just actually sit back and, and, and retaliate without having to confront. Uh, and, and I guess you can also give the cold shoulder. You know, we know Christians are not supposed to retaliate, so we just kind of draw into our shell and we don't speak to people. It's childish, but married people do this all the time, don't they? 
I mean, think about in marriage, you know, uh, if you don't treat me right, I'll punish you by drawing my attention and my affection away from you. And so we draw into our shell and, and our mate keeps asking us, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. And we keep going until we think we've punished him enough. And I heard about a, an angry wife who vowed that she would dance on her husband's grave when he died. And so he went out and prearranged his funeral to be buried at sea. You know, people do this all the time. There's this give and take in life. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And Joseph has the perfect chance to get even. He, he has this opportunity right in front of him, and he doesn't even try. When Joseph meets his brothers, he doesn't immediately reveal his identity. And, and scholars have debated, why didn't Joseph tell people who he was? Some have said they thought that Joseph was just toying with the concept of retaliation. You know, he was contemplating how he could get even. I don't think this story uh, gives much evidence of that. I, I believe it, it, it's better to understand this, that Joseph was determined that, that if his brother's spirits had changed, he, he was going to treat them differently. I, I think he wanted to provide food for them. I know he wanted to see his brother Benjamin. He wanted to know if his, his father was still alive, but he wanted to know, have my brothers changed? Were they still dishonest? Were they still liars? Were, were they jealous of Benjamin like they had been jealous of me? He doesn't want to bless bad men. He knew that bad men don't become better by increasing their possessions. They only get worse. And the last Joseph knew was that they weren't good men. And, and if he said, hey, I'm, I'm Joseph, are you sorry? Oh yeah, Joseph, we're sorry. You know, that's surely what they would say, but how would he know? Will you go back and get my father? Sure, but maybe they would never return. So Joseph shows incredible wisdom and, and truthfully incredible restraint. His heart's got to be pounding and he's got lots of questions. His dad's still alive. Is, it, it, are they treating Benjamin the way that they treated me? What did you tell dad about what happened to me? But he holds back these questions to make sure things are different. And over the next two chapters, Joseph basically puts his brothers through two tests. He puts them first through the test of adversity. Uh, it's really interesting to me as you look at these tests, they're incredibly similar. Uh, they're, they're, they're so similar to what Joseph has gone through. Uh, if you remember, his brothers accused him of being a spy for his father. You're just out here spying on us. And here in Genesis 42, verse 9, Joseph remembered his dream about them and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the weakness of this land. You remember when they threw him in the pit, they paid no attention to his pleas for mercy. <laughs> so Joseph pays no attention to theirs. Verse 13, they replied and said, we, your servants, uh, were 12 brothers, the son, sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no longer living. From this, Joseph knows that his father's alive. He knows Benjamin is getting favored treatment, and he knows they lied to him, to their dad about him. He knows all that from that statement. And so he says, I tell you what, I'm going to keep all of you in prison, and one of you can go back. And if you read on, he changes his mind. Uh, just as they had changed their plans about him, remember they were going to kill him, but they had changed their plan Joseph changes his plans and he says, now I tell you what, I'm going to keep one of you and I'll send the rest of you back. But if you want more grain and you want your brother released, you must bring the youngest back with you. And so he bound Simeon in their presence. 
And listen to what their brothers say is going on. Verse 21. Then they said to each other, obviously we're being punished for what we did to our brother. We, we saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we, but we would not listen. This is why this trouble has come to us. But Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. Continuing on, he says, uh, or continuing on, the Bible says they didn't realize that Joseph understood them since there was no interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and wept. He turned back toward them and he spoke to them and he took Simon from them and he had them bound before their eyes. You know, one's conscience is a powerful motivator, isn't it? Twenty years later, his brothers are saying, we're being punished for what we did to Joseph. For 20 years, the brothers had to live with the guilt of what they had done. For 20 years, they had tried to cover up with lies to their father. Guys, when you commit an offense that's not reconciled, it will continue to trouble you. I hope you get this. I hope everybody gets this, but especially those of you who are young because you're just figuring this out. When you do something wrong, it won't go away overnight. Guilt is a powerful thing. It is to the, to the soul what, what pain is to the body. And we think that pain is always a bad thing, but I'm thankful when I was 17 years old that I felt the pain of my appendix before it ruptured. And before I died, that pain let me know that I had a serious problem. And if I didn't deal with that pain, it would cause me greater pain later in life. Guilt in your conscience is a good thing. God letting you feel that guilt is a good thing because you, you, if you leave it unattended, it will weigh on you for year after year after year. And that's what's happened to his, to his brothers. That they're feeling this guilt. So Joseph sends them away. But he took the money that they had paid for the grain and he put it back in their sacks. And when they opened their sacks, there was money and they were scared to death. They were afraid that they were going to be accused of stealing. So he gives them another test. And it's the test of prosperity. The, the brothers had demonstrated repentance when the pressure was on. But what if all went well? The story continues. They're back in Canaan and they run out of food again. And they need to go back to Egypt. And, and they say, we can't go, can't go back for more unless we take Benjamin. And Jacob says, no way. I've lost Benjamin. I, 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 now I've lost, or excuse me, I've lost Joseph. I've lost Simeon, and now I'm going to lose Benjamin too. This is not going to happen. But finally, Jacob relented because the conditions got so bad, and they were so poor, and they were so hungry. And, and they arrived, the brothers arrived back in Egypt with Benjamin. Uh, when they get back, Joseph gives them special treatment. He told a steward, take them to my house, prepare a banquet. And the brothers are petrified, and the brothers thought, What's going on? Is he going to accuse us of stealing the last time? And they, they took the steward aside and said, Hey man, we didn't take this money. It was just in our sacks. And the steward said, Relax, God gave you the money. Don't worry about it. And he washed their feet and he prepared them for the meal. Verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him the gift that they had carried into the house and they bowed to the ground before him. He asked if they were well, and he said, How's your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? 
verse 28, they answered, your, your, your servant, our father, as well, he's still alive. And they bowed down to honor him. When he looked up and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, is this the youngest? Is this the youngest brother you told me about? And they said, may God be gracious. Uh, then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. And Jer- Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother and he was about to weep. And he went into a, a, an inner room to weep. And then he washed his face and he came back out regaining his composure. He said, serve the meal. Now, now the banquet's really interesting because Joseph stays in the next room listening. Now, they didn't know he understood Hebrew. And Joseph had arranged the brothers to sit around the table from the oldest to the youngest by birth order. And he was completely dumbfounded when it was time to eat. Or they were completely dumbfounded. When it was time to eat, Joseph arranged Benjamin to get five times as much food. Now, if you have more than one kid... You know, this doesn't go well. (laughs) They're all hungry, and here Benjamin's gobbling it all up, and yet the brothers are not critical. So after the meal, Joseph sends them all on their way. And he released Simeon to them as well, and he gave them grain, and they they took off toward home ecstatic. They, They had succeeded. But on the journey, they get stopped by the police at the city limits, and the police said, how could you return evil for the good that's been given to you? Joseph does all this for you, and now you steal his favorite cup from his house. And they said, hey, we didn't steal anything. What are you talking about? If you find that cup on our persons, uh, we'll we'll be your slaves, and you can execute the person who took it. And, of course, verse 11 says of chapter 44, each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. And then the steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. Of course, Joseph has planted the cup in the sack of Benjamin. There they find the cup in Benjamin's sack. And the, the brothers go back to Joseph and Judah, and, uh, and, and, and Judah makes an impassioned plea. One of the brothers and says to Joseph, Hey, we can't go back without Benjamin. Uh, uh, he, he's our father's favorite. If we go back without him, our father will die. This tells about The father and how he suffered after Joseph went missing. And Judah says, please release Benjamin and execute me. I want to stop for a second and think about how different this was when it happened to Joseph. Reuben speaks up and says, we shouldn't do this. We should go back on our plan. But Reuben caved because he didn't have the inner strength to, to, to stand up to the mob. But now Judah, in the face of Benjamin's uh, uh, capture uh, and imprisonment, Judah stands up and says, I will take his place. And that reminds me of another one from the tribe of Judah. It reminds me of the perfect Son of God who came and gave His life on a cross for us and He took our place because we could not escape our prison and there was no one else worthy to take our place. But praise the Lord, the one named Jesus came and He sacrificed His life completely on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and made clean. If you've ever been deeply hurt, And you finally let it go. There's a powerful moment of release, isn't there? Now Joseph understands his brothers are changed men. He understands the situation is completely different. And and, uh, 
the, the Bible tells us that they tear their clothes and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Uh, and, and when they get back to Joseph, he could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants, so he called out and said, send everyone away from me. And no one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that he, the Egyptians heard it. And Pharaoh's house heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But they couldn't answer him because they were terrified in his presence. You can imagine the brother's emotion, unable to answer, mouths gaping open. This was Joseph, the one they had ridiculed. This was Joseph, the one they had abused. This is Joseph, the one that they had sold. And now this Joseph has authority over them. And they're petrified. Verse 4 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And he says, Don't be worried. Don't be angry. Don't continue to wallow in your guilt for selling me here because God had his hand in this God was working all the while now when we see this some people would say that God prearranged evil uh, the Bible says that God does not tempt uh, and God is not tempted by evil and he does not tempt other people uh, and I don't believe that man is a puppet that God forces to do evil. I believe men willfully do evil. But I want you to understand, when men and women and boys and girls do evil, what, what Satan intends to harm turns out for God's glory. God can take the worst that men do, and he can turn it around for good. And he does that here. In Genesis 45, verse 14, Then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulders. Verse 15. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as they wept. And afterward his brothers talked with him. What a reunion. What a reconciliation this was. Joseph forgave and said, I want you to, br I I want you to bring your father and move to Egypt. And so they go back uh, to Canaan. And they tell their father, Joseph is alive. Jacob was beside himself with joy. And he came to Egypt. And all the brothers were reunited. And they lived together as family. And they couldn't believe how gracious Joseph was. They deserved punishment. He gave them favor. You know, when I look at the story of Joseph and his forgiveness, I think of the gospel. If there was anyone that did not deserve what God has given, it is me. I, when I, I, I had somebody a, a couple weeks ago, sometimes when I'm getting ready to preach, I put my head down in my hand in my hands and I can't even sing at the moment and I'm so overwhelmed that God would use me in a moment like this to proclaim His goodness and His glory and to talk about His, 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 His purchasing of us and I think I'm so unworthy to do this God. There's so many people who are so much more qualified and so many people who've lived better lives and so many people who understand Your Word more clearly and so many people who are more articulate and I think God I'm not the person to do this. 
I can't share this. And in those moments, I feel the Holy Spirit come around me. And he tells me, I didn't call you because you were good enough. I called you because I'm good enough. And I want to tell you, when I read the story of Joseph and his forgiveness to his brothers, my heart is overwhelmed with the goodness of God. What a picture of our Christ that we see in Joseph, who though he was offended in every way by his own people, he gave himself for them and proclaimed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a picture of the gospel. Chapter after chapter, a holy Joseph is treated with injustice. And we get to the New Testament and we see a holy, perfect Savior who's treated so unjustly. And yet he was without sin. And he didn't retaliate. Even when he was falsely accused. Because he knew that what God was allowing to go on his life was going to be for the salvation of many. Joseph had an understanding given to him by God working in his heart. What you meant for harm, God is intending for good. What a beautiful gospel picture. And it also helps us to understand how we can live out our faith because we understand the gospel. Let me share with you some insight I think we gained from Joseph's story. How can I deal with that person who calls me the name? How can I deal with that spouse who said I do but didn't mean it? How can we deal with that that injury, that wound? How can we deal with that person who has hurt us in the most heinous way possible? How can we deal with them? Let me give you four things. Number one. Release your right to retaliate forever. Now, maybe there's been an injustice. Maybe you have a right. Maybe you have the power to get even. But forgiveness releases your right to hurt back. And if there's punishment to be administered, leave it in the hands of God. Only the Lord has the right to take revenge. You don't have that right. Only the Lord does. The Bible says, friends, don't avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. It is written, vengeance belongs to the Lord. He says He will repay evil. Number two, recognize you're not the judge and you're not God and you have no right to seek personal retribution. Number two, do your part to reconcile a relationship. Forgiveness is not just saying, I'm not going to get even with you now, I'm get out of my life forever. Forgiveness is doing your part to reconcile the relationship to the best that it can be. You see, forgiveness is an individual action, but reconciliation does take two parties. And we have to acknowledge that. And there's a difference between forgiving and trusting. You know, a girl may be engaged to be married, and if her fiancé cheats on her and she discovers it, she ought to forgive. But I wouldn't recommend getting married. You know that there's a difference between forgiveness and trusting. We just have to acknowledge that. But we do try to reconcile relationships to the best of our ability. The Bible says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you're heaping fiery coals on his head. But don't conquer evil by evil and don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with what is good. And then thirdly, I would say, acknowledge the sovereignty of God in every terrible situation. 
Joseph said you meant it for evil. God turned it around for good. Forgiveness is reaching a point of maturity where you can look on an injustice and say, God will or has seen me through this, and I have or I will grow through it. And maybe it's even the best thing. Now, I can almost hear some of you say, Preacher, I just can't get there. I can't get there in forgiveness. My ex did. My kids have not done. My boss treated me like. My church failed me in. My parents weren't. I, I, I understand how, how deep wrongs can run. But the Bible says, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. At the end of the day, we forgive because we've been forgiven. That is who we are. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Follow the example of Jesus and forgive. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us during this time. Father, I know that sin runs deep. And I know it runs so deep in my life that it makes me think that I have the right to get even when I'm wronged. Lord, help me to acknowledge my sin. I'm not the judge and I am not the sovereign. And I have no right to try to sit in your place. So for those who have wronged me, Lord, may I respond with forgiveness. Lord, may I do my part to live at peace with all people. And Father God, may I display the gospel's influence over my life by how I do that which does not come naturally. But I forgive because... You have forgiven me. Father, I pray for your people that you would give us the power to live lives of forgiveness. And Lord, even right now, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of those who you've called. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. We're going to start this morning by offering an invitation to those who maybe need to let go of some pain and and say, Lord, I will turn this over and I'll forgive. I'll do whatever I can. And maybe you need to take a first step today and come and say, God, you know the hurt that's there. You know the wrong that's been done. God, I'll turn that over to you. Maybe you're here today and uh, you're the one that's done the offending. And maybe today you want to come and say, God, I'll do everything I can to, to make right what I've done. Maybe you're here today and God is moving in your life in a completely different manner. Maybe you're here today and, and you recognize how deep sin runs in your life, but you have never, ever, ever put your trust in Christ. You've trusted coming to church. Maybe you've trusted getting baptized, but you've never trusted Christ. 
I want you to understand putting your faith and trust in Christ alone is what brings forgiveness of sin. Maybe today you'd like to come and talk to someone about what that means and what's that look like in somebody's life. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. You're welcome to come. Maybe you're here today and and uh, uh, you'd like to commit to be baptized. You, you, you can come as well. We, we get baptized to show the world that Jesus has had an impact and an effect on our heart. We want to let the world know of an inward change that's taken place. You know, uh, we're going to open the altar. We're going to sing. Come to the altar. If God speaks to you as we stand and sing, won't you come?